Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. Thank you for working with us through lunch and coming back. We're excited for this um, great session on survivorship with Barb Regis. Um, Barb is currently working at Fred Hutch in the Department of Oncology, serving as the APP for the survivorship program. As a stage 3C melanoma patient in surveillance, she hopes to support her patients not only as their provider, but a fellow survivor. Um, We're so excited to have Barb here with us, and we'll turn the time over to her. Thank you. It's uh, nice to meet everybody, and uh, I'm excited to be here and just uh, share stories and experiences together. Um, as you can see, I work for Fred Hutch, and I too am a melanoma 3C cancer survivor and surveillance. So I feel like I have a little bit more of an understanding as a provider what's what it's like to be a cancer patient and the day to day, and that's why I decided to take the role at the survivorship program. Uh, Before that, I was in primary care for 26 years, working in Arizona. I owned my own practices and worked for a couple other companies uh, throughout the years and then ended up at Fred Hutch just five months ago, so I'm new to the program. Next slide. So today's topics, we're going to, it's going to be very varied, and we may kind of go off a different trail too, especially since we're a really small group. So I... I'm going to entertain the idea of like, you know, if there's questions along the way, just, you know, talk to me. I'm a really informal person, so it's okay to say, whoa, Barb, where are you going with all this? But hopefully, you know, at the end of the day, we'll all get something out of this, including myself. But understand survivorship, the challenges that affect all of us, diving into distress reactions, living the day-to-day, Operation Thrive, and what a survivorship consult visit looks like at the Hutch. Next slide. Now, this has been really interesting for me because I agree with this definition, but I'm going to tell you the scoops of what's going on in the medical community. And I hope I don't get in trouble, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, A cancer survivor is an individual who's considered to be from the time of diagnosis through the balance of his or her life. It also includes family members, friends, caregivers, and also impacted and included in this definition. Now... I don't know about you all, but when you were diagnosed with cancer, how did you feel from the very beginning? Did you feel like you were a survivor? I'm going to beat this. I'm going to destroy this. I'm going to win. Well, in the medical community, I got news for you. They consider survivors, a lot of them, to be people that are through therapy, through surveillance, and not part of their communities anymore. And so this has been like a huge eye-opener for me as a survivor. So I'm actually working on trying to help the medical community, my fellow providers, oncologists, PAs, MPs, nurses say, hey, the moment I was diagnosed, I considered myself a survivor, and I bet you most of you in this room right now felt the exact same way. I bet. I could be wrong. 
There might be one of you that said, no, I'm not a survivor. I think you were, though. So I'm really working on changing that whole way of looking at things. Next slide. And as you see in here, I'm not going to go through every year, but the trend is so many more people are living through their cancer diagnosis. It's not like it was in the 50s, 60s, 70s, but now exponentially with the introduction of immunotherapy, uh, genetic you know, therapies, therapies that are you know, for the individual, that are catered to the individual, it's a whole new ball game. There's going to be more and more and more of us survivors. And it's amazing how it just goes up exponentially from 2020 to what's predicted in 2020, 2040. Next slide. So maybe you all can relate to this slide, but there may be some people here that can't relate to this slide. And what I think of this is that, you know, some people are early in their journeys and they're really struggling. And you know, they're barely getting out of bed in the morning. But we're still surviving, and everybody's thriving at different levels. So people that are newly diagnosed, they're trying to figure things out, are thriving at this level. And then those of us that have been through therapy that are still being watched very closely for recurrences, we're thriving at different levels, but we're all thriving. Next slide. Cancer survivors are all of us. We or the people we love may be affected by a cancer diagnosis. Survivorship is about living our best life physically, emotionally, during and beyond any cancer diagnosis. And that's really where I think we all need to kind of look at how we survive moving forward. Next slide. So this is overall survivorship of all cancer patients. And this was from a study that was done a couple years ago. And it said 68% to of cancer survivors felt they were good and excellent health. And 60 to 75% of cancer survivors felt they were psychologically healthy before and after treatment. Now, I wonder if we surveyed ocular melanoma patients only, what would those stats be? Would they be higher or would they be lower? Something to think about, no answers. Because, you know, we know that the type of melanoma y'all were diagnosed with, and me, I have amelanotic nodular, which is a really rare melanoma. Um, you know, we're living the day to day. There's not a word cure for us yet. It's coming, but not quite yet. And when I was diagnosed, I had the Castle test, I was 2B and I was given a 40% chance to live five years. I'm five years out, I'm alive. I had recurrence, I was diagnosed in 2018, uh, recurrence in 2020, there's cures coming. But my point is, is that I think with ocular melanoma patients, many might think that they're not doing quite as well as these patients that hear the word cure. That's my thought, because I think that's how I kind of feel about things, knowing that there's not a concrete answer for me. Next slide. Those who appear to be functioning well may have needs that are not observable. Everybody in this room, in somewhere in their journey, has had those needs that somebody else 
didn't pick up on and we didn't want to share. Something to think about as survivors. And this slide really resonates with me. You know, you look below the water and you see how massive that is. Next slide. So, of course, you know, with cancer survivor challenges, and I'm not going to go through all this because you've had a lot of science in the last couple days, and you're going to have some more science. You know, it affects all these different areas and organs. So not only are you diagnosed with your primary, but it's like, okay, where is it going to go next? And those fears, you know. And so let's go to the next slide. So if you just take a couple minutes, I don't have to read all this, but I'm sure that when you look at this, a lot of what we see in front of you has affected you all. Yeah. I'll talk a little bit about it. You know, you get your diagnosis, you're wondering if you can work. You're wondering, you know, what's going to happen with your physical function? You know, what's going to happen with your family? And all those different things. And that's just part of, you know, what we deal with in survivorship. How do we, you know, live our best lives knowing all these fears, you know, recurrence of our cancers, new cancers. It goes on and on for us survivors. Next slide. So if we break it down about the physical concerns, when you look at overall cancer survivors, these are their concerns. 59% energy issues, concentration, sexual function, neuropathies, pain, for some patients incontinence, and mouth and teeth. Go ahead and next slide. And these are the big ones. The emotional. What am I going to do? Is the cancer going to come back? Grieving, feeling of, have, about your identity. Have I lost my identity? Who am I? Appearance, that's huge. How are family members going to respond to me? Am I still going to be Barb, their aunt, Barb, their sister, Barb, their caregiver, or am I going to be Barb? Oh, you're the cancer patient. And I'm sure some of you have felt that way too. Next slide. So I, what I wanted to do, because we didn't have that much time, is I wanted to just dive in more on the emotional stuff. Uh, you get a lot of the physical stuff from your providers. But I can tell you as a PA and talking to physicians, we're not good at all about talking about the, about the emotional stuff. We just want to have an answer, we want to write a script, and we go, see you in six months. We want to be able to give you news and say, see you. But then you're here, I was here, saying, but I have all these questions. You know, I have all these thoughts. And it's hard to find people to talk to. And I found, too, even talking in the um, counseling community, you ask them questions and they can't relate because they haven't gone through what we've gone through. And so, we're going to look a little bit into the uncertainty, grief and loss. You know, what's going to be my new norm? And fear of recurrence. So we're going to break it down. Next slide. How many people have thought this? I have so many questions and no answers. And then just look at this, you know, not knowing what the future is going to bring. Thoughts and feelings about how do I move on? How do I, how do I cope with this? Now, how do I balance this? How do I heal myself? 
um, what's my family going to think? You know, all of a sudden, I was a strong person. I'm the one who's taking the kids to all the basketball games. I'm taking them to, you know, their, your, their band practice and stuff like that. And now I can't do it, right? Um, how the family dynamic changes, that's a huge thing. And I know in my family, it, for the most part, brought us together. Uh, a lot of people couldn't quite understand my diagnosis. And as you know, with melanoma, oh, well, not so much with ocular, but with us, with, with the skin cutaneous. Oh, it's just skin cancer. It's no big deal. You'll be fine. You look fine. How many people can relate to that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, how do we cope with that? Uh, how do we tell them, yeah, I may look fine, but hey, I'm not fine. And sometimes, you know, I, people would see my scars and I wouldn't even tell them it was melanoma. I'd go, well, you know, I beat the shark because my entire arm has scars on this side. I'm scarred, tons of stitches and stuff like that. So the uncertainty, it affects us all. And, and part of this today is like, I know I'm not bringing answers, but I want you to know that if you get one thing out of this is that you're not alone. And we, most of us feel that way. And we're all here to support each other however we can. You know, and that's the big thing in survivorship, supporting each other. Next slide. Now this is the real tough stuff. Yeah, losing your eye. Things that were mentioned uh, at the last um, prosthesis, you know, knowing that there is hope, but it's still not your eye. You know, uh, it's never going to be the same. I was really excited to hear that you could be a pilot. I didn't know that. I thought for sure you all couldn't be pilots, but I guess we can be pilots. Now, my husband, he doesn't have any issues with eyes, but he was born with a real lazy eye. And when you look at his eyes, his doctor goes, you look like you had some sort of major head injury because his one eye goes this way and his other eye goes this way because his surgery was botched. So he tried to fly airplanes, but every time he went to land the airplane, he couldn't bring it up just in time to land. And like finally his instructor said, give it up, you can't do it. You know? So the depth perception is huge. And I witnessed that with my husband because we'd go out and he'd be out in training and like, okay, we're gonna land now. I'm like, you need to bring it up? And he's like, oh, really? And I'm like, boom. I'm like, one of these days the plane's gonna flip over. But I'm sorry to deviate on that. But I was super, super excited that, you know, pilots, that's cool. You know, um, I know with me, what changed forever was my work in stan stamina. Um, I was a long distance runner, triathlete, musician, and after my diagnosis and all my therapies, uh, I can't do long distance running anymore, and that really hurt. And so it's kind of how do you how do you how do you deal with that? Um, independence too. Oh, how many people here are like oh I'm so independent, and all of a sudden you have to rely on people to drive you places? Oh my goodness, right? You know, as a survivor, that for me that was probably the hardest thing. Can, you, can I take you to your appointment? Can I do this for you? And I'm like, I just want to take myself. I just want to be normal again. And that's interesting. I want to be normal again. Next slide. Again, what is your new norm? In survivorship, we sometimes have to finally wrestle with the fact that 
our norm's not going to be the same, but our new norm can be really pretty good. Next slide. This is the thing that probably worried me and continues to worry me the most. And I think it does for many of you possibly in this room is like the recurrence thing. I can't give you an answer, but what I can say with it is that you just stay on top of your appointments. Don't miss an appointment. Just stay on top of it. Therapies are getting better. There's more and more hope. But the fear of recurrence in my patients, many of them that I see, they just are not functioning well because of what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, and I'm like, well, what if you went down the street and were ran over by a bus? Well, what if you were driving the car? You know, I mean, you can't what if for the rest of your life, right? Got to get over the what ifs somehow. You know, got to. And in survivorship, that's what, you know, we really, really try to work on with my patients. Like, got to somehow get over that. Next slide. Fear of recurrence. I love this. Um, this is from an oncology nursing forum. You can just go ahead and read it. Um, I think most of us can relate to this one, too. Uh, okay. Next slide. This is what helped me the most, and this is my revelation. Every day I would ask myself, why me? Then one day I realized, why not me? At that moment, I knew I had to figure out to live my best life knowing it would never be the same. And I'm not trying to, you know, play this down, but it was like, you know, I was always told, oh, you know, you're the healthcare provider. I diagnose people with cancers. I diagnose tons of people with cancers and, and ulcers of different things. And it was always like I was on the other side of it. But as a healthcare pr practitioner, let me tell you, when you're on this side of it, you really understand how messed up it is, right? Yeah, like trying to get your appointments, trying to get the insurance, trying to get the meds approved, trying to do this, trying to do that. Oh yeah, I'm just trying to get healthy. Yeah, that doesn't happen very well sometimes. It's like, but what I did is I knew that somehow I needed to figure out how I was gonna move forward and not dwell on Barb the marathoner, Barb the musician, Barb the this, Barb that, but Barb the how can I live my best life and give back to others? And that was one of the things for me that has really helped me with this. Next slide. What we can and cannot control. Next slide. Chemotherapies we choice. Next slide. Radiation, surgery. And then, we can't control our age. Oh boy, I wish we could, right? Oh, what we know now, wouldn't it be great to go back at age 20 and do it right this time? Or if it's, right, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> but then maybe some people have done it right all along, I don't know. Um, gender assigned at birth, your genetics, your, but you can control your social and your lifestyle. You know, you can control that. And so those are the things that I try to focus on, what I can control. Next slide. So you've heard this probably from your counselors and from your nutritionists and from your PTs and from all the people that are hopefully working with you um, through your journeys. But it's true. Nutrition, exercise, focusing on the positive, 
uh, when I have a moment where I just feel really down, I stop really quickly and I say to myself, what are the three things you're grateful for? And I, my, I reset my mind. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful that I'm still here. I'm grateful for my husband and his support. I'm grateful to be able to help fellow cancer patients. I'm grateful for my family. And that helps me kind of get out of that moment because we all get in those moments of like, pity me, pity me, and, and that kind of thing. And I just really try to focus on that. And in survivorship, I think it's really, really important that you figure out a way that when you're going down that slippery slope, that you have something that you can do right away to go, stop, reset, and whatever it is that you do to reset, do the reset, and it'll help. Managing your stress, um, alcohol and substance use, quitting smoking, sleep is uh, critical, but I don't think, how many people in this room sleep well? Tough, isn't it? Yeah, I think if we could figure out a way to help people turn off the thoughts and everything like that and get a good night's sleep, it would be huge. And if we do figure that out, but I can tell you, even with patients without cancer, when they hit their mid-50s, especially females, rarely do I have somebody who sleeps well that actually will come in to me. And in my survivorship visits, I can tell you, people are not sleeping well. And I think electronics are part of it. And I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. But if there's a way that we can figure out how to help with sleep, I think that would be know, a huge start for people because, you know, you wake up in the morning, you don't feel rested, then the day just starts and just that whole cycle over and over again. Next slide. I think the most important thing, too, is I don't know how many of you felt this way, but isolating. I'm just going to go in my corner. I'm just going to go in my corner. I had to let myself learn how to let people help me because I was the helper. I helped everybody, helped everybody, and then all of a sudden, oh, I want to help you. I'm like, I don't know how to be helped. Well, you learn really quick when you can't get up in the morning and you're feeling really bad. Uh, focus on your self-care. How many people here, too, I just want you to think about this, are still focused on everybody else but not focused on yourself? Do something 15 minutes a day that you love to do. Ride a bike, read a book. Most importantly, if you like music, listen to music. Um, I'm listening to, I, I was a huge Jimmy Buffett fan and I'm still devastated as I think there's probably people here in the room. Um, but wow, how he lived through his cancer journey and none of us knew it. I think he can be a model for all of us even up to a couple weeks before he died, did you know he actually uh, released a new song? It's called Something in the Bubbles. I just saw it online and I haven't listened to it yet, but he released a song, he knew he was dying. But Jimmy lived it hard for his whole life and Paul McCartney was there. And I think we could learn as survivors about from Jimmy, you know, whether you like his music or not. Pets. How many people, I hope y'all have a pet. If you don't have a pet, get a fake pet. Just get a fake pet. Because someone I know has a robotic dog. They love their robotic dog because they don't have to chase it, they don't have to feed it, they don't have to worry about its poop or anything like that. But that's my Jules. Uh, she, I rescued her, my husband and I, three years ago, and now I feel like she's rescued us. 
because she knows when I'm not feeling well. And the most important thing is don't be hard on yourselves. Don't ever be hard on yourself. Give yourself grace. That's the other thing I'm finding in all my appointments with my patients. People are tough on themselves. I'm like, hey, do you see all the things you've been through? And you're being tough on yourself? Come on, give yourself a little grace. Give yourself grace. Next slide. Okay, so you're probably going, now what was that all about? Okay. Survivorship, again, is what you make of it. And what I wanted to do is highlight more on the emotional stuff that I know your healthcare providers aren't. And I want you to just think, look at those slides occasionally. What is it that you can do to just reset when you have those moments especially? Because we all have them. We all are going to have them. So you see the mission of Fred Hutch, um, clinical care research and outreach. Next slide. So what happens in our survivorship realm is that we have patients from uh, Washington State, Alaska, a few other states that come and see us. And what happens is they schedule appointments with us and then we do a deep dive in your records. And we get them and my nurse puts together a treatment plan, a care plan, and also all of the information about your cancer diagnosis, timing, therapies, what you're up to, who have you seen, what you've been doing, and it gives me a really good idea of kind of where you're at before I even see you. So when I see my patients, I feel like, wow, I already know them pretty well. And what we do is we talk about what you want to talk about. Now, the other goal is that what we do is we look at your age, we look at where you are in your cancer diagnosis, we look at where you are in your treatment pr protocols, and we make sure that a lot of the survivorship pieces are still in place. For example, you know, it's really important with, you know, any sort of, uh, you know, therapies. You got to keep up with dental health. So are you getting dental appointments every six months? Are you seeing your ophthalmologist? Are you seeing, you know, well, we know you guys are, but a lot of people with breast cancer and other cancers aren't. We talk about other preventative things like, hey, just because you have this cancer, we still need to be looking for breast cancer, prostate cancer, colon cancer, and all these other cancers. So what we do is we look at everything. We find out from you when you've had all of your appointments. And then what we do is we draft a really good table, spreadsheet, that shows who you had the appointments with, when you had the appointments, what you're due for next, who you're supposed to go to for those appointments, and then what we do is we double check with you to make sure you're still doing it. Because a lot of times what happens is we get so wrapped up in our treatments for our diagnoses, we forget that mammogram. We forget that colonoscopy. And that's where sometimes it can get really dangerous because um, I found a couple patients that they didn't have you know, mammograms for 10 years. And I'm like, where's your mammogram? And they're like, I was so busy with this, I just forgot about it. And so we get people back on track to make sure that they're fine. The other thing that we do is that we talk to you a lot about your sleep. We talk to you about your sexual health. Talk a lot to you about, um, you know, are you having any neuropathies? Are you having any issues, you know, you know, physical therapy needs? Are you having any needs where maybe you're having some brain fog now? You're like, hey, this is just weird. Is this related to my therapies or not? 
And so what we do is, you know, we talk to you about it, and then what I do is I refer you, refer you for like neurocognitive testing. And so I'm kind of like your gatekeeper to make sure that not only are we talking about the emotional stuff, but to make sure that all the physical stuff still is being met. And then the other goal is to work with your primary care providers because I can tell you right now, probably most of your primary care providers don't have a clue about your diagnosis, don't know what to do with you, and as soon as you went to oncology, they're like, I'm not seeing you again until you're done. Well, I'm like, you still need, I need to see ya. Not that I wanna have a pap smear, but I need to see ya. Um, and so what I wanna do is I wanna work with primary care providers to understand that, hey, when you have this type of chemotherapy, you better be watching the heart, you better be watching the lungs, you better be watching this, you better be watching that. If you've had radiation, depending on where the radiation has gone to, we're really concerned about you know, the effects of the radiation. And it goes on and on and on. Now the hard part is like people like myself. I did, I did a combination of immunotherapies the second time around, Ipinev. We don't know the long-term effects. But I can tell you for me, dry mouth, uh, my adrenals are blown. I have to take steroids every day. If I don't take steroids, I don't make it. It's that simple. I've been tested and they're like, they're not coming back. And so that's the hard part for us clinicians, like with all these new therapies, we just don't know long term. But it's gonna be important for us to work with all of our patients to see what's happening and there's gonna be studies to see. So they are, they're learning with the immunotherapies a lot about what's going on. But with some of these newer therapies, we don't know yet. And most doctors, but well, I'll tell you one thing, they don't like to ever say to you, I don't know. That's not in the language. I don't know. And so they're gonna dodge it. And so I'm really upfront with my patients. I go, I can tell you from my personal experience, we don't know. So when you're having symptoms, your oncologist better hear about it really quick or your PCP and we need to jump on it. So that's kind of like what we do in survivorship at the Hutch. Um, some other facilities like Dana-Farber and also uh, Sloan Kettering, they have de dedicated survivorship clinics that are kind of like glorified primary care clinics. And so they have your physical therapy as part of the survivorship program, they have your occupational therapy, they have the counseling, they have the psychiatrist, the, you know, everybody involved, and then they do all the testing, like for bone density, they do the mammogram orders, and they do all those kinds of things. So instead of relying on the PCP, actually the cancer patients will go to them. So that's another model of survivorship care. And so mine is where I have all these things in place within the UW uh, Fred Hutch system, but I have to kind of like cater to like, okay, you need to see you know, William some something for this, and you need to see this person for this, and I make sure the referrals happen and people are being seen, I make sure that I steer people through all that. And so that's kind of the other model of survivorship. I wanna thank you for your time today. Um, just wanted to know that I believe in you all and I hope that you all can live your best lives. And I know it's hard, but always remember that um, we're rooting for you. And I'm here if you ever have any questions. Um, uh, Melody's has got my contact information. Um, you know, next slide, <laughs> oops, <laughs> has my 
con and this is some of the, the, the feedback we got. Um, you know, please don't hesitate to reach out. If I don't know the answer, I can find the answer through our system and say, hey, talk to someone in your system about this. Um, but we really, you know, want to make a difference. And um, my hope is that you all do live your best lives. Uh, but I do respect the fact that it's not easy. Thanks. Questions? Sure. If, um, well. Can I plug my books a second? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I forgot. A um, couple things. Uh, there's a couple books out here. Um, this is a good one. It's called The Lemonade Stand, and I wrote a chapter in this book, and it's about my cancer journey. Um, this was written a couple years ago, but my pride and joy is this book, and it's called Surviving the Business of Healthcare Knowledge is Power. And basically what it is, it's like a cottage book. So if you open up a page, it's a different subject. And so it kind of intertwines my cancer journey with like experiences and things that happened with my patients and how we corrected it, how to save money in healthcare, how to understand how insurances work. And so it's kind of like a little bit of a book that actually can give you uh, some resources as to how to navigate the healthcare system a little bit better. And honestly, I've got enough copies here that I'll just give them to you. I think I got enough for those that braved the survivorship one and didn't go the other one. Yeah, I had heavy hitters in the other room. <laughs> I saw the lineup and go, okay, so I'm really glad you're here. But I do think I have enough books. If not, I'll get your name and address and I'll send you a book. But this is something that I wrote. Um, I'm proud about it. It tells about growing up a doctor's kid. I'm the fourth generation healthcare provider in my family, and it's some crazy stories in here. Violate HIPAA to the point of no return. Because back then, in the, there was no HIPAA, and they came to the house. And uh, <laughs> the stuff that happened in my house is pretty crazy. So I talk about a couple of this, because otherwise, you know, surviving the business, healthcare, knowledge is power. What a boring title. <laughs> You know, if I can figure out a better title, maybe I'll sell more books or something like, oh, this got to be boring. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Okay, I know um, maybe I'll start with a question from online, and then we'll jump around. So if you have questions, think about them. We could, it's a small enough room. We can say it out, out loud, or we can write it. But... Um, we just had a question online. You mentioned someone, or mentioned other clinics around the states. Someone was asking if, um, if they're not close to one of these clinics, what kind of resources are available? Could they go to Fred Hutch and, and find resources about survivorship? You know, there's a lot of online resources, and I can get those to Melody to be, you know, we can go ahead and post those, depending on what part of the country you're in. Uh, and it depends on where you're getting your care, too. Uh, if I knew where, I might be able to help a little bit more with that. You said New York. I just got back from upstate. Are you in upstate? It was awesome weather. Okay. Yep, we do. And I want to get more specific to New York then, too. Yeah, I'll, I'll reach out to a couple of the colleagues that I have. 
if you have a cancer center that you're getting your care at, and it's one of the major centers, they may already have their form of a survivorship program, or they can refer to you within the state. So if you're in New York, for example, you might be able to get an online referral through telemed to like Sloan Kettering, for example. Rochester would be another one if you're over in the Finger Lakes region. And any, as long as you're in New York, you know, we can perform telemed. We just have to be licensed in that particular state. So there would be two resources I would look at right away. Thank you. Yeah, Memorial Sloan Kettering. They've got a huge program. Fantastic program. So ask your provider. And see, this is the other thing I'm finding. We have this program, but nobody refers to us. Because it's seriously, probably 60% of my referrals are self-referrals, and that's why I'm trying to get the word out. So when you go in to see your provider at MSK, ask them kindly to refer you to their survivorship program. Their program is over-the-top fantastic. In my dreams, we'd model after that one. I don't know if it's going to happen. <laughs> it is. MSK is great. Yeah, it's specific states, but if there's a program, you know, in their state, they should be able to do telemed. And it's changing, you know. We're hoping to get more of interstate licensure, but for example, my license in uh, Washington is like $400, and my license in Arizona is about $600. And so I have a California license, but I can't use that here. Uh, or my Arizona right now, and so it's really expensive. So, you know, the states need to make their money, and that's a good way. You license all of us and charge us a few hundred dollars. So, sorry about that. I wish we could. I'd see you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, um, I had all my care in, in Arizona at Ironwood. Dr. Kalmadi, uh, he saved my life. Uh, Mayo Clinic in Arizona, and I know uh, Ironwood is becoming a big player. They've got like about 14 different offices now in Arizona, all through Arizona, and I know they're having some survivorship actually uh, breakfast on October like 14th. So that might be a great thing if you're in Arizona, go on back there and uh, check them out. Yeah, Ironwood's great too. Mm -hmm. so the name of the oh, MD Anderson, sorry. MD Anderson has a big play in Arizona now. Yeah, so, uh, and they're in Gilbert, Arizona, and I think they're in a couple other locations, so between the three. Do you know if Honor Health has one? I'm not sure. They might. Sorry about that. Yeah. In the hospitals, it would be called survivorship? Survivorship clinic, yep. Clinic? Yeah. Okay. Or program. And how many well, this is what's interesting. I came from primary care, so y'all can imagine that. And I own my own offices, so my patients, you know, we spend a lot of time with my patients. Um, so I would see maybe 16 patients a day. Some primary care see 30. I spend an hour with each patient, and my prep work, my RN spends at least three to four hours doing the initial prep work for me. And then I spend like another four hours doing dives and prepping everything. So pretty much I have all the questions in order. And usually what patients are handed at the end, they're sent an email, it's like a, it's like a 16 page summary. It's really long and detailed. Yeah. Can you Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So this is the other thing. The history of the survivorship program was one and done. And I'm like, what? So like, here, here's your treatment care plan. See you in 10 years. And so I'm really mixing it up. Uh, and I'm seeing patients that really have a lot of emotional needs right now that because I'm a fellow cancer patient, they're actually getting something, I think. And so I'm seeing them in three months or six months or a year. Because if I'm gonna recommend you get a mammogram done or I'm gonna recommend that you go and see your dentist and stuff, I wanna make sure you're doing it. Like it's easy to say, go do it. And you know, too, in primary care, a lot of times that's what happens, go do it. But we don't follow up to see if it actually got done. So yeah, we're changing that. Now in these big programs like Sloan Kettering and Dana-Farber in Boston, uh, Harvard, uh, you know, they, you just go back into the clinics, you know, because they get all the test results and everything like that. So I have to just kind of do more gatekeeping. What's your main, well, you've got, right. I'll have to look it up. I would, I would be shocked if they don't. Here's the deal. If you're a major cancer center across the United States to have your accreditation now, you have to have a survivorship program. Right. So that would be one to look up. Yeah, let me, let me see what I can find out. Yeah. And then I, I've got your email, so I can send you. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Right. And occupational therapy, some people have found it's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Because we have to learn how to redo a lot of things. Right. Because of the depth perception. Is that something you also refer? Yep. Okay. Yep. A lot of OT speech. Uh, yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. You know, we even at the Hutch have um, oral, uh, oral, um, MDs is special in oral medicine. So even if you go to your dentist, they go to the Hutch and get checked, especially our people that have bone marrow transplants and things like that. For their long-term effects, they're seeing everybody. Yes, yeah, so we have that, we have vision, we've got a lot of different support, but they don't see them like all the time, just mainly if there's an issue going on or just for like maybe an annual routine, quick check, okay, you're doing well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hadn't either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I neither. And you know, I'm a healthcare provider, and the and and what intrigued me to the job. Well, it was funny. I really wanted to work at the Hutch, and so I saw this ad, and I knew one of the hiring people, and I was like, survivorship. What the heck is that? And then I applied for it to come and find out that, you know, it's a program that's evolving, but it's going to be a huge push by, you know, the NCCN, things like that, that you're going to be required to have these programs. It's people have to ask. And what's kind of sad is, like, I'm still trying to break the barriers with my fellow colleagues because they think, well, you're, they're not cancer survivors. They're still in therapy with me. And they think I'm going to steal their patients. And I try to tell them, like, I'm not trying to steal your patient. What I'm trying to do is actually help you and make your life easier because maybe... I can have those difficult conversations that you don't want to have, 
And so it was so funny. People were like, well, let's see that happen. And I said to him, I said, well, you got a new ranger in town, so we'll see if I have a job in six months. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, no, we're cancer survivors. We need help. And if, if you're diagnosed, I don't care what your diagnosis is. If you're diagnosed and you haven't even had therapy yet, you know, we're not going to slow down you getting to your oncologist, your surgeries, and all these kinds of things. But if you want to talk to me and just say, hey, like, I just need to talk to somebody, and you know that I have a medical background, what is the harm? Figure that one out. If you can figure that out, one, let me out. No, because like I said, 60 plus percent of my referrals are people finding me, and almost all of them are still in therapy. And then, you know, I have to be very careful. Um, oncologist to consider, oncologist, think about this, you know, because you never want to tell providers what to do, right? So I'm very mindful about that and respectful because I totally respect what my colleagues are doing. I just want them to just kind of like open up and be more visionary that maybe what they think patients need are not what patients think they need. You know? That's the thing that just really rips me. It's like, if your patient thinks they need this, then why not? I, but like I said, I love, my colleagues are brilliant and I know they don't have time, I know they're overworked, I get it. So utilize this, because I want to build a big program. I want to have eight of me. I want us to be so busy helping them, supporting them to make their life easier, actually. And also, so you have one more resource. You can't have enough resources in this deal. You know, the worst thing is, oh, I have my oncologist, I have my surgeon. Oh, that's all I have. Well, that's pretty lonely. Good luck. How many people send messages to your oncologist and your surgeon you don't hear for two weeks? No, that never happens. Sorry, but it's the truth. So were you doing this before you were diagnosed? No. You were just a PA job. You were a PA in Arizona and then moved here and did this? No, no. Um, in 1992, I almost moved to Seattle, but my parents announced they're going to come to Arizona being snowbirds. So we had both sets of parents. So the daughter that I was, was like, I need to see my parents through. So I went to PA school, opened up two medical practices in Arizona, uh, divorced my business partner, and then uh, worked for briefly for one medical and then for Premise Health, running uh, primary care centers across the country and also seeing patients. Moved to Seattle, continued in that role for Premise, traveling all over the country, working on building practices for companies and things like that. And I just was like, I need to do more and I need to help my fellow cancer patients. So one thing led to another. I started snooping at the hutch, you know, like, and I was thinking maybe I'd, I'd actually be a PA for melanoma patients, and I would have been totally cool with that. But I saw the survivorship thing, and I'm like, well, I might as well apply and just see what it's all about. And uh, so that's what I did. I just applied and said, you know, they needed someone who built programs, and that's my specialty is, like, I built my offices. I built a lot of programs through the years. So I like to take a challenge and see what we can do with it and do things in a mindful way. So I was, I was very fortunate to be able to do that. Sorry to be so lengthy. Sorry. Yeah. Well, we'll see. You know, I'm, I'm lucky to have them too. It's, it, but it is hard as a cancer patient sometimes. It is draining. So like after four one-hour appointments in a row, like I need to go take a walk. Like I need to just relax because I want people to be able to say anything they want to to me and feel free 
that's and and so hopefully I can help them, help you all. Yes, sir. So are these programs available to people who have diagnosis but not yet have treatment? Absolutely. Yep. And if someone says you can't go to the program, say, will you please look at the definition of what a cancer survivor is? Yeah. Yeah. And that was the thing that I was kind of shocked about when I first started the position is that I was getting pushback that I was seeing people in their treatments or just diagnosed. And I go, well, if the patient wants to see me, I'm not going to say no. And they're like, yeah, you're right. That's fine. That's fine. And so we're just rethinking the whole thing. So yeah, from moment to diagnosis, all the way through. So I'm seeing people at moments of diagnosis, people in therapy, people in palliative right now, people making some different decisions, people that are failing therapies that want to go a different direction. Then I have other patients that are totally done that like let's say had Hodgkin's lymphoma like let's say 10 years ago and they're doing really well at cured. But with Hodgkin's and with lymphomas, you gotta be really, really careful to watch heart, lungs, bone, and so a lot of these people get cardiac problems. And so um, we're anxious to see them because as a primary care provider, I would see these patients after diagnosis, but honestly, I didn't know what to do with them. And now that I know in hindsight, oh, that's why so-and-so's heart had heart issues in his, he was 48. Because he was one of my Hodgkin's lymphoma patients, you know, in his early 30s. So it's just educating and things like that. Yep. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. Please be sure to subscribe, and if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Acure Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.